In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. In the beginning, I'd like to wish you all a very blessed and happy new Coptic year. And let us all pray and ask God to bless the crown of this year with His goodness. Tonight, our Bible study from Psalm 69, 69. And as I said before, each psalm has a title. And the title of this psalm, To the Chief Musician, said to the Lilies, a psalm of David. The chief musician, some believe that he is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and others suppose him to be the leader of the choir or musicians in David's time, like Asaph or Heman. Also, said to the lilies, we find it in the title of Psalm 45 and Psalm 69. To the lilies, some say it may refer to the general beauty of the composition of the psalm, or to the tune, or even to a six-string instrument that had a resemblance to a lily, or that was shaped like a lily. There is controversy among the scholars about this psalm. Many said this psalm has nothing to do with David. It is a messianic psalm in which David, with the Holy Spirit, prophesy about the passion of Christ and the ultimate destruction of the Jews. So, it is a messianic psalm refers to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and to his salvation work. But others said, no, this psalm belonged to David, being a man of suffering. And clearly this psalm is written about David and his difficulties. Especially, verse 5, we cannot apply to the Lord Jesus Christ, in which he said, O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Or verse 22, let their table become a snare before them, and there will be a trap. So, the wishes of revenge in verse 22, and the confession of sins in verse 5, unsuited to the meek and to the sinless person of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, actually, it's reasonable to say that this psalm both is speaking about David and also a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. What David spoke of himself in a figurative sense is in many places actually literally fulfilled through the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no psalm with the exception of Psalm 22, is so frequently quoted in the New Testament. This psalm is one of the most frequently quoted in the New Testament after Psalm 22. For example, verse 4 is quoted in John 15, verse 9 in John 2, verse 21 in Matthew 27, and in Mark 15 and John 19, verse 22 in Romans 11, verse 25 in Acts 1. So many quotes from this psalm in the New Testament. St. Paul actually quotes verse 22 
as a prophecy of the wickedness of the Jews and the punishment they were to receive. Also, St. Paul quotes verse 23 in the same way. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and make their loins shake continually. In the letter to Romans. Psalm 69 is the Psalm of the Cross on which Christ endures death for the sake of his bride, the church. The psalm consists of typical elements of lament, prayer in the time of trouble. The sense of sorrow in this psalm is more intense than any other psalm. This psalm is 36 verses and we can actually divide it into four sections. Lamentation from the heart from verse 1 to 12. Urgent plea for salvation from 13 to 21. Asking for the defeat of his enemies 22 to 28. A praise of conquest 29 to 36. Today actually we'll stop at verse 21. So we'll take only almost half of the song. So let's start from verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire, where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters, where the flood overflow me. David begins the psalm with a description of how he feels from the suffering he is enduring. In the midst of his distress, he knows that his only source of deliverance is God. That's why his petition, save me, O God. David had many times in his life where this prayer, save me, O God, was needed. David felt he was about to drown. His very life is threatened. The water have come up to his neck. So indeed it was like drifting into deep waters with nothing but death awaiting him. But also this verse can be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord in this verse is seen like Jonah. Jonah in chapter 2 verse 5 he prayed the waters surrounded me even to my soul the deep closed around me when Christ utters these words to his father he does not pray as we must to be delivered from sin when he said save me definitely from not from sin but from the suffering of body and soul endured in his passion when we pray the same prayer, save me, O God, we pray that God save us from our sins, but for the Lord Jesus Christ, from the suffering of body and soul endured in his passion. This shows the weakness of the human nature, also the weight of sin upon him, because he is the Lamb of God who carried the sins of the whole world, and his sins of the wrath of God. In other psalms, like Psalm 40, David rejoiced because he is standing on a rock. There is a strong foundation underneath him. 
But in this psalm, he's in the opposite position. He's not on a rock, but he is sinking down in the mire, where there is no standing. Mire is a metaphor of dangers and difficulties which restrain a person and weaken him. Where there is no standing means there is no solid ground under me, nothing for my foot to rest on. So, this verse does not signify despair of mind in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ, but difficult and dis distressed circumstances in which he is going through. So we can picture the Lord Jesus Christ sinking down into the deep mire of humanity, sin and guilt when he carried our sins upon himself, coming truly to the deep waters where the floods overflow. There is no standing, everything gives way under Christ the sufferer and no support. Usually in the scripture, afflictions are compared to waters. Christ's sorrows and sufferings are very appropriately signified by the deep waters and the overflowing floods. No wonder it was said about the Lord Jesus Christ before he went to the cross. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Matthew 26, 37. St. Augustine says, Thanks to his mercy, he who came to the depth of the sea and let himself be swallowed by a great fish, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but vomited him on the third day. He came down to the same depth where we were cast as well, where we met our destruction. There he, the Lord Jesus Christ, came by himself, suffered the waves of the shouts of men saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And with the increasing voice of the storm, he went down to the depth of the sea. The Lord endured suffering on the hands of the Jews. That's how St. Augustine imagined this storm of people raging against him, saying, Crucify, crucify him. This was the depth of, of the waters in which he was sinking. Verse 3, I am weary with my crying, my throat is dry, my eyes fail while I wait for my God. So in verse 3, David goes to describe his physical state, declaring that he is weary from crying, his throat is dry, his eyes fail. David was worn out with all the energy spent in his crying and crying out as he waited for God to rescue him. The psalmist feels that he prayed and cried to God long and fervently and yet God seems to neglect and forsake him. And during our life from time to time, sometimes we feel this way, we are crying and crying, but where is God? He is not listening, he is not responding. We read about the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat 
became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. My throat is dry. Similar prophecy like in Psalm 22, my tongue clings to my jaws. Also, we read in John chapter 19, verse 29, the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am, I thirst, I thirst. St. Augustine comments on my eyes fail, and he said, how can we apply this to the Lord Jesus Christ? St. Augustine says, far be it that this should be taken of the person of the head, head of Jesus Christ. Far be it that his eyes should have failed from hoping in his God, in whom rather there was God in whom in Jesus, Rather, there was God reconciling the world to himself, and who was the word made flesh and dwelt in us, so that not only God was in him, in Jesus, but he, Jesus, was himself God. Not so then, the eyes of himself, of Jesus, our head failed, not from hoping in his God. So he said, impossible that Jesus failed in hoping in God the Father. But how we understand this verse, he said, but the eyes of him who failed is his body, the church, the members of his body. That is in his members. So the voice, my eyes have failed me, the voice is of the members. This voice is of the body, not of the head. End of quote. Verse 4, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. In verse 4, he begins the description of the real problems that David expressively Describe it in previous verses from 1 to 3. He lived under the great stress of knowing that there were many people, more than the hair of his head, who simply hated him without a cause, without reason. David's pain comes from his enemies who hate him without cause. He acknowledges also the strength of his enemies, the Almighty. And their, but their attempts to destroy him are ill-directed, for he is innocent of their false charges. So the injustice is so great against David that he is forced to restore what he did not steal. As he said, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. And he spoke about how mighty they are, the Almighty who would destroy me. It is hard for us to believe that such a wonderful, godly man as David would be so hated. And even it was is very difficult in the hatred without cause that was directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the concept of this part of the fulfillment of the prophecy is not only that the Jewish leader hated Jesus, but 
they were accusing him falsely without cause. So there are two things here. They hated him and without cause. And he said, they are more than the hairs of my head. There were a multitude that came to take Christ to the garden. Multitude of priests and Pharisees initiated to ask for the release of Barabbas and the crucifixion of Jesus. This verse actually was the first verse in this psalm quoted in the New Testament, in John chapter 15. So, in the teaching, in his teaching to the people, actually on Thursday, the night before his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus Christ said, If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now, they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in the law. Which, where in the law? Psalm 69. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. We find it in verse 4 in Psalm 69. So the Lord Jesus Christ is predicting this part of his upcoming trial that would happen in a matter of hours. Their hates toward him, the false accusation, without any cause. And he is telling his disciples that he was going to pay the price for things that he had not done. And a great act of injustice was about to take place. As David said, though I have stolen nothing, I must restore it. In the same way, the Lord Jesus Christ paid the price for things that he had not done. If David said, I have stolen nothing, actually, he was not accurate. Because in reality, David had stolen Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not his wife, but he took her. But I have stolen nothing is perfectly applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ actually, he refused to take what rightfully is his. What do I mean by it? In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, St. Paul said he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Although Jesus is equal with God the Father, he is one with God the Father. He is true God of true God. But actually, although he is true God, he emptied himself, take the form of man, took the form of man, appeared like a slave. He chose to set aside David's divine privileges when he said emptied himself, meaning he set aside the divine privileges that were, were rightfully his. For this, Jesus was condemned by humanity. The, the accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ was he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. But actually, he is indeed the Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God. But the people used this truth as accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. 
you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from me. In many Psalms, David proclaimed his innocence compared only to his adversaries. He is not actually claiming perfect innocence, perfect sinlessness. No. But when he said, I am innocent, he is saying, I am innocent from the accusation of my adversaries. But in this psalm, actually, David is confessing his sin and appealing to the mercies of God. When he said, you know my foolishness, David is saying that he had never intentionally injured those who hate him, but had always intended and endeavored to act right toward them. But in the midst of this suffering, David admits that he is not perfect. He has error in his life. So, however mindful of righteousness he might be in his dealing toward the people, so yes, he is mindful that he is innocent when he dealt with other people. But toward God, he is a sinful man. Toward God, he is a sinful man. You know my foolishness. Although he is aware of his innocence in dealing with others and felt that his enemies hated him without cause, yet he is also aware of the fact that he is a sinner and he is willing to confess before God that he is a sinner. You know my foolishness. But we cannot apply this to the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ had no sins of his own, but he bore our sins, the Lamb of God who carried the sins of the world. St. Augustine comments on the second part of this verse, and my sins are not hidden from you. St. Augustine says, it is plain, clear, open, that this must be perceived to be out of the mouth of the body. So he said, my sins are not hidden, not about Jesus, but about the body of Jesus, the church, us, the believers. Transgressions, none had Christ, mean Christ did not have any transgressions. He was the bearer of the transgressions, but not the committer. He did not commit any sin, but he carried our sins. Verse 6, Let not those who wait for you, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Beautiful. David is also concerned about others, other believers lest they be ashamed because of David. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord, God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded, be confused because of me, O God of Israel. Beautiful. So, David's concern was not only the effect of his sins upon himself. Because verse 5 he was speaking about his foolishness and his sins. So he is not concerned about the effect of the sins about himself, but especially the effect that it had upon the people of God. So when we sin and when we cause others to stumble or to be confounded, so the thought of embarrassing those who seek God 
was painful to David. We again meet the feeling so common in the psalm that the suffering of any member of Israel would bring dishonor to the name of God. So when we suffer because of our sins, this brings dishonor to the name of God. He used here expression, let not those who wait for you. Those who wait for you means those who worship you. Because the godliness in the scripture represented as waiting on the Lord. When we say this person is a godly man, means he is waiting on the Lord. So he is saying, let them not feel humiliated and feel it a dishonor to have it said that David is one of them. Because when my sins are revealed before the people, this would dishonor all the believers and would dishonor the name of God. That's why he is saying, let them not feel humiliated or feel it a dishonor to have it said that David is one of them. So, David points out a very important truth that our sins have an impact on how people view God. St. Paul said, the name of God is blasphemed because of their sins. And also other people who trust God are impacted by the sins of another. David is concerned that his harsh treatment, which many would assume was the result of some sin, would bring reproach upon the Lord's faithful people. So he is praying that it may not be so. He doesn't want the dishonor to be brought upon God's people through him. Those who wait for you, the people of God, the believers in Christ, also are described by such wait on the Lord. Because we are waiting on the second coming of Christ and the salvation by him. So waiting for the Lord means waiting for his second coming also and the salvation. If we apply verse 6 to the Lord Jesus Christ, so the Lord is saying to God the Father, let not those who wait for you, O Lord the God of hosts, be ashamed because of me when they see me suffering and dying on the cross. Let not those who seek you be confounded when they see me weak, humiliated on the cross because of me, O God of Israel. So let them not believe, let them let their face not be shaken when they see me suffering. They would be in danger of being put to shame and in confusion when they should see Christ under the power of death and the grave. So in this petition, Christ addressed his divine Father as the Lord God of hosts, as God omnipotent, to encourage their trust and confidence in him. Why he addressed him God of hosts? To say God is powerful God. So even if you see me weak on the cross, don't be afraid. Don't let your faith be shaken. Christ prays against that which was the great danger of weak souls in the first days of the church. In the, after the ascension, 
the church was persecuted harshly by the Jews. So he was praying that these people will not be confounded or their faith be shaken. Also some fathers say that those who wait for you are the believers waiting in Hades till Christ should come to set them free. On whose behalf he prays that he might, may rise again from death that they may not be disappointed on their hope. So those who were waiting, waiting in Hades, you were waiting for the descent of Christ to deliver them from Hades. Verse 7, Because for your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. Because for your sake. The psalmist confirmed that the true reason why these adversities have come upon him because for the sake of God himself. It was not because of some fault he did or an evil he committed against someone. Then he said, shame has covered my face, indicates that his dishonor is constantly before him. Jesus also has borne reproach because he took upon himself to do the Father's will and to teach his truth, the truth of the Father. Therefore, people were angry with him and hated him. All Christ's words and works were to the end of increasing the honor of the Father in the hearts of men. Therefore, he reproached sin, preached holiness, worked miracles that they might believe his saying. That's why he said, for your sake, because for your sake I have borne the reproach, shame has covered my face. And he indeed suffered reproach, for they said of him, of Jesus, a glutton and wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And they said to him, you are a Samaritan and have a demon. They could find no real fault in him, but they were forced to conspire a lying accusation before they could begin their shame trial of him. Shame has covered my face was true for the Lord Jesus Christ because he was struck, blindfolded, spit upon, and at the last dragged to most humiliating death on the cross. Verse 8, I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. What grieves David's heart more is to see his own brothers disregard him and count him as a stranger. Why he used the word my mother children, my mother's children? Because he wanted to denote the most intimate relationship. Because in the Old Testament, a man had many wives and this was very common. So the nearest relationship would be denoted as being of the same mother, not of the same father. So a part of Jesus' suffering was due to the fact that even his kinsmen did not believe in him, as we read in John chapter 7, verse 5. And even in some sense to his disciples and followers, 
We read in John chapter 6, verse 16, some of his disciples and followers, when they heard the doctrine delivered by him about Eucharist, they withdrew from him and walked no more with him. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is hard to say, who can understand it? Also, his relatives were ashamed to be identified with him. As we read in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind about Jesus Christ. David also was rejected and spoken against because of his zeal for God and his house. That's why in verse 9, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you, reproach you, O God, have fallen on me. Do you remember when David danced before the Ark of Covenant and he was reproached by Michal, his wife? So David was rejected and spoken against because of his zeal for God and his house. David's jealousy for the honor of God's house was like a consuming fire within him. We can see the zeal connected to God's house for David was evident in his desire to build a temple for God. And when God told him, no, you will not build a temple for me, then we can see the diligent preparation he made for the temple that his son Solomon would actually build. So the word house, the zeal of your house, can mean the temple, but also can mean the nation of Israel, the, and David's passion for its faithfulness to the Lord. When David said, the reproaches of those who reproach you, O God, have fallen upon me, David either meant the reproaches uttered against God was felt by David, as if it is directed, these reproaches, they are directed toward David himself, or the opposite. When the people reproached David, they really meant to reproach God in him. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Saul, St. Paul, he told him, why you persecute me? So, this verse actually is very properly applied to our Lord who went about doing good and gave up his life, not only for the redemption of man, but also to exalt the law and make it honorable, as we read in Isaiah 42 and verse 21. And when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple courts, his disciples remembered this verse, in verse 69 verse 9, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Verse 10, when I wept and it chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. David wept for their wickedness and reproaching, which they cast upon God and upon the godly. And he fasted continuously with weeping and made him with no strength, he was exhausted. David's practice of fasting appear both in this psalm 
and in other Psalms like 35, 109, and also in 2 Kings chapter 12. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, this refers to his acts of devotion, to his endeavors to discipline his soul so as to lead a strictly godly, holy life. David was rejected because of his foolishness and sins, as we read in verse 5. But when he repented, people also reproached him, disapproved him. As he said, when I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach also. This verse applied to the Lord Jesus Christ who wept at the grave of Lazarus and over the city of Jerusalem. He wept because of the sins of his people, because of the hardness and the unbelief of the Jews that rejected him. The Lord said to the disciples, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Also Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and many times he neglected himself and was without food for some time. And what Jesus suffered for our sake and to glorify God the Father was used as a matter of reproach against him. As he said, that became my reproach. Verse 11, I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. The sackcloth, this was often done as expression of grief and sorrow. And here as an expression of repentance and humiliation like the people of Nineveh. The sackcloth for Jesus mean he, when he took the form of a servant, the manhood of poverty and suffering, which means scorned and ridiculed. By word means what? When he said, I became a by word to them. By word means a parable, a proverb, a label. He became a subject of mockery and ridicule. In our world, this is a deliberate strategy to disrespect and to dismiss people simply by giving them a label. St. Augustine comments on, I became a by word to them. He said, that is for a ridicule. It is called a parable. Whenever a comparison is made concerning someone, when he is evil spoken of. Also, some commentators said, as the Lord taught by parable, so he may be said to have been himself a parable to his disciples. Verse 12, Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of the drunkard. So David says that he became the target of scorn and disapproval of almost everyone, from the leaders of the city to the city trunks. Those who sit in the gate means the leaders. Why? Because usually people, the courts are in the gates. The gates of the city were places for men to gather, places where business was transacted, places where courts were frequently held, and were no doubt also places of gossip. So these are the leaders. 
and drunkard even those the drunk of the city so he is the talk of the city in the same way many spoke against the Lord Jesus Christ against him as the son of God against his teaching against his doctrine against his people and followers they consulted together how to seize him how to kill him as the chief priests and elders frequently did so the word and the song of drunkard actually there are many interpretation of this word drunkard some say it applies to the Jews who have just been drinking the Paschal wine on Thursday on the night of Monday Thursday they heard from their feast to the house of Annas to join in condemning Jesus Christ also by others they said drunkard are the soldiers at the time of crucifixion because they substituted the wine that was prepared for the sufferers to reduce their pain by vinegar instead some say he was ridiculed by all people both high in the gates of the city and low drunkard conspired against him also the high priests and the thieves on the cross the high and the low both of them despise the Lord Jesus Christ verse 13 but as for me my prayer is to you O Lord in the acceptable time O God in the multitude of your mercy hear me in the truth of your salvation so when David found that all enemies have joined forces against him everyone ridiculed him then he found no one to whom he could raise his complaint except to God David cannot appeal to his own righteousness now he is appealing to God's love and his mercy he is appealing to God's love and mercy for deliverance as he said in the multitude of your mercy hear me in the truth of your salvation he would seek God and make his prayer to the one who would hear him in the multitude of his mercy also although he is in great distress but David lifted up a prayer to God for deliverance in an acceptable time as he said but as for me my prayer is to you O Lord in the acceptable time how he looks during the time of suffering as acceptable time actually it was a time of rejection with men but he felt accepted by God because God would never close the doors of his mercies it is always his pleasure to hear the cries of the oppressed and persecuted so an important part of the devout prayer is the recognition and the exaltation of God's character when I pray to God I'm not praying trusting in my righteousness but relying on his love on the multitude of his mercies David appropriately speak of heaven's overflowing loving kindness God hears the prayer not for the sake of our worthiness not because of our fervent supplication but for the sake of the multitude of his mercies and his care for salvation of all even in suffering 
no trace of bitterness in his heart. You can see P uh, David is not carrying any bitterness against God. He is not complaining against God. He is not blaming God. David begs for an answer to his prayer, a response that demonstrates that God in, in reality saves. In the same way Christ prayed in these circumstances, not blaming, not complaining, not condemning, because he committed himself, Jesus committed himself to God the Father that judges righteously, as St. Peter said, and prayed both for himself and his enemies too. God forgive them, for they did not know what they were doing. And the Lord Jesus Christ did not answer his enemies as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But he opened his mouth to the Lord, to God the Father, for he would hear and deliver. In the acceptable time, because both David and Christ know that God does everything in the proper time, the goodwill and the pleasure of God was seen therein, even in suffering. So the Lord Jesus Christ saw the acceptable time in not sparing him, although he is the only begotten son but it was the pleasure of God the Father to deliver him up to death for the sinners. Because at this time, the good will of God is fulfilled when all of the humanity was saved. So the suffering of Christ were well-pleasing to God the Father. The sacrifice of Christ was a sweet-smelling aroma. The righteousness of Christ was acceptable to him. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the world to save it. So, Jesus asked the Father to hear Him in the promised truth of your salvation. In the promised truth of your salvation. Meaning what? He's saying that His atonement may, be, may redeem mankind, and His resurrection justify all the believers, and the saying of the prophets, be fulfilled. As St. Paul said in Romans, he died for our sins and was risen for our justification. Verse 14, Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me, and out of the deep waters. So, David went back to verse 1 and 2 returned back to the figure of the flood and mud. So, he is asking for deliverance from the mire and deep water, which he explained as the wrath of his enemies who hated him. Let me not sink. The psalmist is asking not to be overwhelmed by his sorrows. In the same way, Christ is speaking to be delivered from those who hate him and out of the deep waters, to be delivered from his enemies, the ungodly, the unfaithful Jews, and also the griefs which they caused him, and from the depth of the grave by his resurrection. The enemies of Christ, those who hate me, are compared to deep waters, the floods of the ungodly. So he is seeking deliverance and saving. 
When we the sinners, as I said before, say the same words, our prayers to be delivered from carnal sins, from the world greed within our souls, to be delivered from also the outward troubles and suffering which may shake our faith. St. Augustine says, Jesus say this because of the infirmity of his members, of the body, not the head. He is the head. So he is speaking on our behalf. So, as in verse 1 and 2, the prayer is for deliverance from the dangers and difficulties that is mentioned in the rest of the psalm. In verse 15, he said, Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. So, in verse 15, David passes from the idea of running streams and deep water to the idea of a pit, representing himself as in that pit, and praying that it may not be closed upon him. Because if the pit is closed upon him, it leaves him in darkness and in mire, and there is no escape from it. So the general idea in all this expression is the same, overwhelming trouble from which he is praying for deliverance. And definitely the pit did not shut its mouth upon Christ. The pit is a grave, the pit is Hades, but he rose from the dead on the third day. St. Augustine says, the sinner may use these words too of a spiritual resurrection from the grave of iniquity. So for Jesus to be resurrected from the grave, but for other sinners to be resurrected from the grave of iniquity. And he will find that so long as he is willing to confess his guilt, the mouth of the pit will not close over him. So St. Augustine said, as long as the person is willing to confess his guilt, the mouth of the pit will not close over him. But when he attempts to excuse himself, then it shuts, the pit shut over him. Verse 16, Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Again, David is appealing to God because of his love, loving kindness. David once again asked God for the multitude of his tender mercies, which is better than life and endures forever. David begs that God, consistent with the multitude of his tender mercies, will turn to him. And according to St. Augustine, he said, The head, Christ, herein teaches his members of the body how to pray. They are to plead with God, his loving kindness, and not their own merits. So when I pray, I plead to God based on his love, his kindness, his mercies, not based on my merits to deal with them according to the multitude of his mercies and not according to our sins. Verse 17 And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. So it is the reason given by the prophet Jewel in Jewel chapter 2 verse 13 Return to the Lord your God, 
for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and full of, his, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. That's why we appeal to God. Do not hide your face. Suggest that he does not want God to be angry with him. By presenting himself to God as his servant, he said, do not hide your face from your servant. So David presented himself as the servant of God and now in trouble. So if I am your servant and, and now in trouble, I hope and I trust that you will have compassion on me and deliver me. Surely God cannot continue to withhold his mercy and help from one who is bound to his service, if I am his servant. Also, your servant can be applied on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Isaiah mentioned also. Point to Jesus, who is the only begotten of the Father, and he is also pure and meek. Most truly a servant. How? Not only by accepting to have the nature of man, so Jesus is a servant, not because he accepted to have our nature and being so far inferior to the Father, as he said, my Father is greater than me, just by his incarnation and suffering, not in his essence. But also he's a servant because of his perfect obedience to the Father. He obeyed unto death the death of the cross, as St. Paul said. He then, who only can look on the face of God, Jesus is the only one who can look on the face of God. He prays that it may not be hidden from him. Because when he was on the cross suffering, as if his father hid his face from him. And every repentant who has become as a little child in humility may use the words. Why? When we are humble, we are actually the target of the grace of God. Because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves, God will not hide his face from us. God will grant us his grace. For I am in trouble. I am in trouble means I am pressed on every side, surrounded by the assembly of the wicked, who are mocking me, carrying and for Jesus Christ, because he carried the sins of the world and the wrath of God on him. Verse 18, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. David often complains that God is far from him. That's why he is praying, draw near to, me, to my soul. So the sense of distance and separation from God is intolerable. Deliver me because of my enemies, because of their conspiracies and wicked plans unless they blaspheme the name of God and boast that God is not able to rescue those who put their trust in him. That's why he told him, draw near to my soul and redeem it, deliver me because of my enemies. Verse 19, you know my reproach, my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. It is not for Jesus' sake that he asked to be delivered, but for his enemies, when he said, deliver me because of my enemies, there is another interpretation of this beautiful verse. Because of my enemies, who are his enemies? 
the thief who reviled him on the cross, the soldier who pierced him, the nation of Israel that rejected him, that by his resurrection from death they may believe him. So deliver me because of my enemies, because those who are my enemies may believe in you. And God delivers in two ways. Sometimes God delivers the soul alone from the danger of sin, but allowing the body to perish, as with the Christian martyrs. This is what we call it hidden deliverance. But also, God may deliver both the soul and the body from danger, as the three young children from the fiery furnace. This is what we call it open deliverance. So, in verse 19, you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor, my adversaries are all before you. David continues the appeal to God's compassion, especially because David bore much reproach in his loyalty to God. Whatever David has suffered at the hand of his enemies is fully known to God because God actually permitted it. So, having seen and known, God will not forget. When David told to him, you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor, you know this, you have seen them, so you will not forget me. All my adversaries are before you. God has seen his adversaries and still have them in his sight. These words can express the greatness of contempt that was cast upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The hurt and injustice in the words of insult addressed to him by the Jews, calling him a demon, a glutton, wine-bibber, which was all known to God. My shame, he spoke about three things, shame, reproach, dishonor. Reproach these words of insult, shame before men only, because he was scourged, afflicted, spitted upon, condemned, stripped of his garment, and crucified as rubber. And when the Lord Jesus Christ said, oh, my adversaries are all before you, so unless God deliver him openly, they will not know why Jesus suffered these things and will neither be defeated or corrected. St. Augustine differentiates between reproach, shame, and dishonor. He said reproach, the humiliating words directed against the believer. Shame, accusing them of being without conscience. You are without conscience. Or that their behavior contradicts with their conscience. And dishonor, when they claim that the believer and the, the behavior of the believer causes the face to blush. And according to St. Augustine, the only crime of the Christian, the body of Christ, that would bring on them reproach, shame and dishonor is nothing but they are Christian. That's our only mistake, our only fault that we are Christian. Verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I have found none. So, the humiliation of his hardship had broken David's heart, 
which he compares to a dreadful incurable sickness. As he said, reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. So he desperately needed some consolation from a friend. But when he sought for comfort, he found none. And instead of finding comfort or help, he finds continued mistreatment. But we know David that has friends and has people around him to pity and comfort him. That's why in this verse 20, David is not speaking about himself, but it was prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. David is not describing his own condition, but of that Messiah moved by the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus was left alone without pity or comfort. All his disciples forsook him and fled, as we read in Matthew 26, 56. Reproach has broken my heart. This was the case of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Almost everyone recognized the fulfillment of this verse in the Lord Jesus Christ when they had come to the place called the Golgotha. Let me read verse 21. Verse 21, They also give me gold for my food, and for my thirst they give me vinegar to drink. And this is the last verse in our Bible tonight. They also give me gold for my food, and for my thirst they give me vinegar to drink. So, Everyone knows this verse is about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we read in Matthew 27, from verse 33, when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gold to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink. These words are literally applicable to the Christ. Give me gold for my food, it refers to some poisonous, bitter plant. In Arabic, it's clearer. يَجْعَلُونَ فِي تِعَامِ عَلْقَمَنِ الْعَلْقَمْ نَبَاتْ It's a poisonous plant. The gold and vinegar was not only literally given to the Lord Jesus Christ, but the gold and vinegar are symbolic of the brutal treatment that he received from the people. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.